The Ringer Gambling Feed is your one-stop shop for all things betting throughout the NFL season from week one all the way through Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We have you covered every which way. We got our favorite futures. We got props. We'll discuss the lines. And of course, we'll throw in a few parlays. That's a given. So whether you're a sharp or a square better, we'll be breaking it down in terms hopefully everybody can understand and we'll try to win some money along the way. So be sure to subscribe to the Ringer Gambling Feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Shield Kapadia joined by my friend, as always, on Wednesday nights we record. You might listen to this on Thursdays. Sean Syed from Sumer Sports. We broke down the Eagles Cowboys film. I would say this ranked highly on the fun all 22s to watch uh, so far this season. So we have a lot to get to in terms of the Eagles offense, Eagles defense, Eagles, of course, on the bye week. So I said to Sean, I said, Sean, you want, do you want like a bye week or do you want to just do Cowboys film this week and the next week we can do like Eagles Chiefs, revisit the Super Bowl film. And he's like, of course I want to, I don't want to need a bye week. I want to do both of them. Hey, you're a real football guy. You're just in the grind of a season, ready to go. Sheila, I mean, how can I say no to an extra week of being able to talk into this microphone and have you listen? It, it's, 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 it's just so great. I am actually excited to revisit that Super Bowl. The, the film from the Cowboys game, you're right. It was really fun because like first half Eagles, super fun. And then you get to those three, three and outs and just like, just a wave of sadness comes. And then when you're watching the Cowboys, you're like, Oh, it's the start of the fourth quarter. I'm probably about to be done with the film, but there's still like half an hour which is like half of the oh 60 minute gosh. file, just like a, yeah, a, a, a whole lot of fun uh, before just a preface. I'm going to be d- defending Sean Desai's game plan once again, <laughs> regardless of the results. Just want to, <laughs> just want to, want to tease that leaded. There you go. Yeah. I, I'm actually looking forward to revisiting Eagles. Chi. I, I, I'm old. You're young. You probably remember. So oh, this play, this for me, I remember like nothing from the guy was at the game. I got to cover the game. It was great. Second Super Bowl I've ever covered. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I got to write a uh, column uh, story for the ringer.com afterwards. Got to do a, a podcast afterwards with Solak. And I could tell you like five things. 
that happened in the game. So I, I will be spending part of my bye week uh, revisiting that. And you're not lying about the film. I mean, just, to, you know, if people like, I don't know if people like the behind the scenes or not, but you download the film and like it tells you how long and each like film is different. Because if, if a team had like 47 plays, that's different than if they had 82 plays. Oh my goodness, the Cowboys ran a lot of plays in there. That was that was like a day's worth uh, of uh, of watching, but it was a lot of fun, like you mentioned. All right, let's get to it. Let's start with the Eagles offense here. So we're, we're in pretty simple. Eagles offense, we've got a bunch of different categories we're going to look into. Eagles defense, we've got some stuff we're going to look into. Then maybe some uh, stuff. Hey, is there anything to self-scout uh, for the birds here this week? We'll finish with some leftovers and we will call it a night. All right, Eagles offense against the Cowboys. Nine possessions, four touchdowns, and five punts. No turnovers. Uh, they had four three and outs. So this was a very hit hit or miss game. I mean, four touchdowns and four three and outs. And I think they're, the other drive they punted, they had like one first down, I believe. So uh, based on success rate, this was just about the Eagles league league average, uh, you know, what they've done so far this season. If you took kind of their average game through the first nine weeks, this was pretty much it based on success rate. Based on EPA per drive, however, it was their second best performance of the season because they scored four touchdowns and they didn't turn the football over and they hit on explosive plays. That's how you get uh, to a good statistical performance in terms of EPA per drive. Uh, what was your sort of overall takeaway or, or thoughts on how the Eagles offense played or if you even want to jump right in? Uh, to Jalen Hurts here with what you saw from him. I thought just going into the game, it we knew it was going to be a rail rail test for the Eagles. They come in with their third right guard and Hurts at less than 100% against a real top defense in the league. After those first three drives, you think it's going to be like a 42-35 shootout. But I like, you know, the Eagles went into half trailing. They score on their first two possessions coming out of half and thankfully that ends up as enough to win and just like on the high level I think more variety in the run game was seen even if we'll talk about the varying success of that they moved AJ Brown a lot they put him in the slot a few times which I really like that I think more than they've done the entire season they kind of hide him in that like tight end spot uh using him on RPOs push sneak is still firing on all cylinders eight and one heading into the bye you know a chance to get healthy just want to push that positivity before we get to things like how do the Eagles magically recover three fumbles and and get out of this game with a win? Yeah, I did my uh, WIP hit this morning and they asked me their poll question, which was like, are fans too negative about the Eagles despite their eight and one record? I actually didn't know how to answer it because like on one hand, yes, obviously they're eight and one. That's awesome. They're in position to get the one seed. On the other hand, I kind of get it. Like I was thinking, Sean, like around the league, what fan bases are just like, we love our team unconditionally right now. Like they're, you know what I mean? They're just like, we have a juggernaut. They're fire. <laughs> like not the chiefs. The chiefs are probably like, shoot, our offense kind of sucks. Bills fans are just in a bad spot uh, right now. Bengals fans are feeling good, but they still have a hole they're kind of digging out of. Ravens fans, maybe that might be the one that they're probably like, this season has gone uh, better than we ever could have expected. I mean, am I like maybe the Lions are their, their fans are probably pretty happy, but you know what I'm saying, right? There's not like that team where nine weeks in, the fans are probably just like, we're winning the Super Bowl, book our tickets to Vegas. We love everything about our team right now. Yeah, you know, maybe being a football fan is just like generally not the healthiest choice in one's life. That's, That's what it, it feels like. There, The Bills, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned them because the Bills, I think people won. I mean, you lose games, people get sour on you. That's fine. 
like the the come up and like as you rise up the mountain that's always such a fun time like hurts emerging last year really playing crazy well but then when you have that expectation I do think it's like uh, as a fan base, you're more likely to be frustrated. And uh, like you said, like I get it. I mean, I want, I'm literally watching the film and talking about it with you. And I think there are things that when you look at other teams, you think, okay, well, this negative aspect is like fundamental to this team's makeup. For the Eagles, it feels like, all right, well, there are these patches that need, need to be fixed, but it's realistic that those things can be fixed. It's not that they need to change their quarterback or reteach their quarterback how to do certain things. So, yeah, I, I, I always view the positivity. I do think there's a lot of things the Eagles can work on. And I mean, the next month, like the next time they face the Cowboys, it, it might be literally for the the number one spot, even in the division. So I'm just happy to be along for the ride with you, Sheila. I let you take care of the positivity, <laughs> the negativity. It's it's just it's just fun for me and uh, to watch what kind of how things are flowing. Yeah, I mean that you you hit on one of my my long-standing theories about fandom is that the most fun seasons are the ones that come out of nowhere when you have no expectation and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this the team I root for is actually good this year." Once you get to that point and this is where the Eagles are, like if they don't get to the Super Bowl, this season will probably be not viewed as a success. And I think that's fair. That's just like how it is once you're coming off um a Super Bowl berth. So I I think that certainly has something to do with it. All right. Jalen Hurts Sean, okay, 17 for 23. Watching some of these other teams, I'm like, man, the ball doesn't hit the ground much when the Eagles like play these games. I mean, he's 17 for 23, 207 yards, nine yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, sacked three times. Based on uh, dropback success rate, uh, you know, th- this was right up there with one of his best uh, games of the season. Uh, actually, I think it was his best game of the season based on success rate, based on EPA per pass play, his second best game of the season. And you called it last week where you're like, oh, he's still in like a nice stretch here. His last two games now have been his two best games in terms of EPA per pass play. So that's absolutely what you want to see. What stood out to you uh, from Jalen Hurts' performance? And if there's any, you know, sp- specific plays or, or reps in there that you felt like oh that, that that's worth pointing out uh on yeah. the podcast this game i think it had three of my top five favorite throws from him all year they're all to wow. Devontae smith there was the one obviously that touchdown where it's such good coverage thrown in just an absolutely perfect spot and one was actually another it was a vertical where it ends up as an incompletion and smith smith is kind of like pushed out of the air but just another example of that is like it is such a pinpoint throw to have to make and then there's the third and nine earlier in the game where uh, i think kelsey quick snaps it which i just love because you're against a defense explain that, wants that. To- yeah this was really cool i think i think uh mark sanchez who listen i've said on the show i'm pro mark sanchez as an analyst i like his enthusiasm i got some i got some emails after i mentioned that uh sean people weren't as i'm like i like his enthusiasm i think he does his homework and he points out stuff in the game so i think he had a clip circulating on that but uh go ahead i wanted to make sure we spent some some time on that because i thought that was really cool yeah, the Cowboys, they like to stunt up front. They'll get into some disguise looks and they like to rotate from one high to two high. And that's exactly what they did on this snap where they play cover one so often and their changeup is getting to cover two. But by Kelsey really quickly making the point, uh, sending his call really before any of the other linemen, they are set, but they don't look like they're set. So maybe the defensive ends, they take an extra second to get into their stance. Kelsey quick snaps the ball. The defense is kind of taken aback by that. And so they get into the rotation probably later than they want to because they're like, oh, no, I need to go quick. So the disguise is just lesser. And then Devontae Smith is kind of crossing uh, the field and Hurts does a really nice job 
staying in the pocket. It's kind of like, it's like a weird angle of a throw for the ball to kind of tail away like that. It kind of has to like work through a linebacker a little bit. So just a good example of, I mean, Jason Kelsey, I will say my, my favorite Eagle, I think by far, but whatever the, was it, whether it's the offensive coordinator or it's Hertz or it's Kelsey to do that is, I think a really smart decision when you get a defense that wants to rotate and their changeup is that one rotation so we were turning it back in our favor against especially a defensive front that had some success, particularly over right guard at different points. You're making life easier on your offensive line and Hurts staying in that pocket. Part of it is able to do that because he's not pressured on a play where the offense has like a tick extra to work. Yeah, there were two sequences with Hurts I thought that really uh, stood out to me. We've, we've got the shared spreadsheet with Sean. I've told you before. I mean, I put a question or, or something in there and you're responding uh, right away. I mean, the guy doesn't sleep. He's just grinding the film uh, left and right. But one of them was on that first possession. They had a second and 23. Then it's a third and 15. And uh, Tyler Steen gets matched up one-on-one with Micah Parsons. Not because the Eagles are like, let's see, you know, let's see what the young guy got. But because the Cowboys schemed it up pretty well. I think they had a linebacker uh, over Kelsey. So Kelsey can't help Steen right away. And then they move uh, Parsons over Steen. So the poor rookie, I can imagine, Sean, just, you know, first start, first possession of your first start. And Micah, like Micah Parsons on film just moves differently than every other, uh, every other person out there. And it's like, uh, no problem. Yeah, I just got to block this guy uh, one-on-one. So, Parsons beats Steen as cleanly as you'll probably see a pass rusher beat an offensive lineman in the NFL this season. Again, I'm not picking on Steen for a guy. That is a tough spot uh, to be in. But the point is, this is this is third and 15, and your right guard is getting beat cleanly by Micah Parsons. And Jalen Hurts just hangs in there, uh, finds A.J. Brown uh, on an in-breaker. I can't, I can't remember if it was a crossover or a slant. Uh, 12 yards, and that gives the Eagles a chance on fourth and three. Then it's fourth and three, and Jalen Hurts, great touch to Dallas Goddard, kind of down near the right sideline there. Uh, So that, like, really stood out. I mean, you go third and 15, like, how often are coaches, you know, they're just like, all right, let's just throw a screen, let's hand the ball off. You know, the announcers will have the uh, thing that I hate about. There's no good, you know, Calls in the playbook for uh, third and third and fifteen. Like, listen, you're paid a lot of money. Figure out a call in the playbook for third and fifteen. You know, you you probably won't like that. I know you like uh, to defend defend the coaches there, but that was one stretch that I thought uh, really stood out to me. Where where they go from second and twenty three, third and fifteen, fourth and three, and guess what? You're still alive, and then you score a touchdown and and, uh, and kind of take control of the game early on. Yeah, a sack is such a drive killer. If that happens on first down, like the chances that you see a score are so low. So to go from second and 23 to a conversion is is so awesome. On that second and 23, I'm pretty sure A.J. Brown was in the slot. I love that. I just love having more examples of let's move A.J. Brown around. He is a star and you can break the defense's rules by putting him in different situations. Of course, you get that third and 15 inbreaker. And then when you get to fourth and three, we talk about the concept all the time, an in route from the outside guy at about five yards, the inside guy is running that kind of rounded out route, and it's Dallas Goddard there, and he rarely, rarely throws that inside route. Last week, he did uh, to A.J. Brown because it was A.J. Brown, so it made sense, but I love that because that was just like one of two examples really all year where we actually see that ball thrown to the inside route there in like such a huge fourth and three situation was was really really cool from Hertz I think this is just the second week where Hertz showed us that he even if he doesn't have his play extending superpower ramped up all the way he can 
absolutely succeed at an extremely high level quarterbacking from within the pocket against the best defenses in big moments like that. So going forward, it's just really nice to see that because you can't project how healthy he will be and how much he can extend play. So being able to rely on him in that drop back pass game is, is just fantastic to have. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we don't know what he's going to look like. You know, I think two weeks from now when uh, when they play the Chiefs, like whatever version of Hurts you see there is probably their, you know, version you might get the rest of the season. Like if he doesn't get better over kind of having this this bye week, um, then you're probably going to be a little limited. And, you know, to his credit, like as you're watching, like he's able to get to the run game. He's not a factor in the run game. However, he still does have some plays where he's great. Like he can pick up six yards in a first down uh, on a scramble. Now, you might not be able to turn the corner against Micah Parsons, obviously, but uh, and have that elite athleticism, but he can still do a little bit there with his legs. So I thought that sequence was certainly uh, really impressive. And then they come out in the second half. He had just taken the huge hit from Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, that that was a th- like I-, I wasn't sure when I saw that I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if he's coming out uh, in the second half of this game. He comes out in the second half of the game after taking that hit, uh, their first possession. Remember, they're down 17-14 at halftime. Like They were not in control of this game. Uh, He scrambles for a first down. He escapes and he finds DeAndre Swift for 11 yards. And then he throws the dime to Devontae Smith for a 29-yard uh, touchdown. Just a absolute beauty uh, of a throw there down the left sideline. Like those three plays just after this guy's like helmet hit you in your already injured left knee and you come out and put together that type of drive uh, and that type of sequence. Uh, I thought that was the, the other kind of stretch there that really stood out to me. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, after it, the hit on his knee, I was like, I was just so, so nervous. Uh, like, I wasn't sure if I was going to get a text back from you this week. Like, does it feel really special? Just you're like, like how, how, I'm, surpri- I'm you surprised you didn't. You're, you're like, I'm not breaking down Marcus Mariota film. Sheila. I'm sorry. You know, this has been a fun run, but uh, we're not doing that. No Look, I would, I would Mariotta, happily break course. down Marcus Mariota film for, for the record, but I agree with you. Coming out of the halftime, I think they were a little bit more vertical in their run game. They were able to pick up a little bit. There, they had one under center play, which, of course, we don't see the Eagles get into under center all that much. And, I mean, just not enough can be said about that throw. On film, it's kind of cool. He, like, he does, like, not like a a leg twirl, but he just looks like he throws a ball that he knew it was awesome. So, like, his... He kind of responds like the way that a, a three-point shooter will shoot the ball and kind of fade away from it just a touch. So he's like so clearly, clearly in the zone. And it's really impressive to me because a left knee injury, If I mean, not that you want either of your knees injury, but there's so much torque on that front knee for a thrower to have maybe the brace just, I mean, it helps him on that one hit. Maybe it's the grass at Lincoln Financial that his foot doesn't get caught in the turf, whatever it is. I mean, I'm ready to to donate whatever is needed to the NovaCare complex to, to help his knee over these next two weeks. But to be able to execute that, I'm really glad you mentioned that they were down at that point too. So it's not a situation where it's 20 to nothing and the Eagles are cruising. Like that is a gotta have it situation. And a lot of those drives were gotta have it drives to come out of the half score two drives like that was awesome. Uh, we do got to talk about that, that early push sneak because I know, I know how much you love snap counts on that one. He kind of like extends the count, gives like the fake hut like five times. I love that so much because the defense is so much like they're just gritting their teeth. Like we need to fire off the ball as quick as we possibly can. We need to somehow stop this. And like to hear the fake hut five times. And then I I didn't know what they were going to do. I wasn't sure if they were going to call a timeout, but I was very glad they end up snapping that. And just like another like fine touch onto just 
a perfect play, like an actual an actual real real football play that it's always <laughs> funny to watch Jason Kelsey uh, like kind of lay down and just I just always hope he, he gets up smiling. <laughs> I feel like every time after that, he's like, maybe I should have retired. He's like, I know this is <laughs> successful, but my God, like my body can only take so many more of these. I swear, Sean, I have a tweet out there. It was probably before you were born where I was saying like, teams got to do the fake. We're drawing them off sides. But then you actually snap the ball because everyone eats this up. You, you see, you know, defensive players, like when they don't jump off sides, it always cracks me up. They get so excited, like they start celebrating. Yeah, we didn't jump off sides. How do you like that? We didn't fall for it. And so they start to get into that mode, and then bam, you snap the ball. You don't even need the brotherly shot. Like I feel like every team should have this uh, in the arsenal. It's a great move. Sure, you gotta let the guys have fun. You know what? Like cornerbacks that celebrate when the ball is way overthrown. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah, defenses that celebrate not going off sides. Let everyone have fun. Throw out all the taunting rules. Right. Let, let, we can't poop, especially on the defense. We we talk about how hard it is to play defense. We saw how hard it was to play defense for the Eagles, especially in this game. Celebrate everything. You know what? Celebrate when things don't go well, right? Sometimes it's good process and not the best results. But I'm glad, yeah, that was a good one where it was like, as a defender, you're like super tense, relax. Oh, wait, now I need to get tense again. And I just, I don't love, well, we could talk about the push sneak all day. I don't love when a defender flies over the top because I think, you know, I of course, come from a law background, not a physics background. I like I don't think you're doing yourself a service there. Like you're just kind of crowd surfing on top. You're not you're not really getting that push. But let's let's not let any of the defenses hear that one. Yeah, is it? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I do feel like they want to make it. I don't know if painful is the right word. Like they obviously there have been so many smart defensive coordinators the Eagles have faced and no one you, you know, you keep thinking like, is there going to be one team that comes up with something that's able to stop it? And no one has. So I do feel like when you get in like a, you know, a rivalry uh, division game like this, sometimes they're just like, let's make sure somebody here feels pain for, <laughs> for running this because we're not going to actually stop the play. Cause you're right. I mean, yeah, they jump over top and then maybe they try to grab hurts or uh, whatever. Um, I don't know, but yeah, that, that doesn't really serve a purpose. Like you're not going to stop them uh, by doing that. And yeah, just for the record, you know, long time listeners know I'm absolutely uh, pro celebration. Sean, I mean, I <laughs> listen, if I'm a coach, my number one goal when I go in is when I get fired, I don't want this locker room celebrating with cigars afterwards. I'm, of course, not, you know, referring to anything uh, in particular. There was a Matt Patricia story back in the day where he was still the coach and it was the last meeting of the spring and they were literally breaking out champagne in the locker room because they're like, we don't have to sit in a meeting with this guy for another however many months. So I would not want to be that. I would be, I could go 0 and 16, be terrible. But you know what? When I see my players five years after, I want them to get, you know, give me a hug and say, hey, we still enjoyed like being in the same room with you. You weren't terrible. So I, I'm pro celebration. Just, but, but, but you, you feast on that celebration because they're celebrating that. Bam, you snap the ball. I just like saying, I'm excited. Get bam. That was cool. Uh, I like that quite a bit. All right, let's take a little break here. We'll get back, talk more uh, about the offense, and then, of course, get to the defense. Jump into the NBA action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with 
any winning $5 money line bet. Plus, all customers get three months of NBA League Pass courtesy of FanDuel when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. Let's see, Sixers got Pistons on Friday. They got the Pacers on Sunday. Maybe you put down a little lettuce on one of those. Sixers have been surprisingly fun and entertaining early this season. But listen, you can do what you want. Watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So don't miss your chance to get $150 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA League Pass. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly and tip off the NBA season right. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Limit one pass per customer. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. NBA League Pass. Local blackout restrictions apply. All right. We are back on the Ringers. Philly. Special. Uh, let's get to those last three drives that uh, you alluded to there uh, in the start, because yeah, there there is a you know a certain scenario where we're probably leading the podcast with what in the world happened on the Eagles' last three drives. They had so many chances to put the the game away, and they didn't do it. They go three and out, three straight possessions uh, there down the stretch. Uh, let's just take them one by one. First one, they're backed up in their own end zone. Of course, that's after the kind of the goal line stand. Um, they run their brotherly shove. Then it's an incompletion to Olamide Zacchaeus. Uh, there's some pressure there, but Jalen Hurts obviously cannot take a safety or a turnover in that spot. And then they try a screen to Devontae Smith on third down. That doesn't work. That possession any issues? Like, are you just like, that's kind of, you know, you just need to buy yourself some space there and punt the ball. Uh, they, you know, w- what was your kind of, um, you know, analysis uh, of that first three and out? Yeah. Of the three, I think this is the most forgivable because you got the ball on like the absolute inch line push sneak. Let's just get some room there. Second snap, as you said, maybe a throw behind, got some pressure coming. I'm fine throwing a screen there because Again, I mean, the Cowboys defensive line is really good. They were able to succeed against the Eagles offensive line a lot during the game. So we really don't want to have a safety there when you're up 11, just being a bit safer, get some room for your punter. Don't love the results. Obviously, I don't hate the process there as much as maybe I think things on that second and third three and out, we could probably quibble with a little more. Yeah, I I agree with you. Rewatching that one, I was like, you know, you kind of had a shot there to Zacchaeus on the slant. But again, like if, if you're Jalen Hurts, you know, with that pressure, like you can't, you just, the ball's got to come out. It wasn't an easy throw uh, given what was around him. So you miss on that one uh, and then you get the screen. So you don't do anything there. I thought that one was fine. Now, would you like, you would love a scenario where you just like ran the ball three times and picked up 10 yards. And we've, to be fair, we've seen situations like that previously. Like there have been previous Eagles teams or games where you're talking about like they just ran out the rest of the clock, they ran it nine straight times, and the offensive line dominated. That hasn't been happening recently. So is that an issue? Yes, but given the circumstances, I don't have an issue with the calls. Next one is the one where I'm actually curious to hear uh, what you think about, because this I thought was the bad one. This I think is the one where if they lose this game, we're saying that was an absolute disaster, that possession. So they get to third and three. We like the Eagles in a third and three. Third and three is a nice spot for this Eagles team to be. We just talked about it. 
They throw a go ball down the left sideline to A.J. Brown. Uh, Hurts, who again was only through six completions all day. This was not his best throw. The ball kind of sailed out of balance. A.J. Brown didn't have a chance at it uh, at all. So I guess you can, you know, I want to hear what you thought about, you know, what happened on that. It looks like A.J. Brown kind of had a step there where actually a good throw, you really have a chance for an explosive play. I personally didn't like the call. I'm almost, I'm 95% in favor of just throw it up to A.J. Brown. I like that as an offense. That's a good offense. We've seen it. But on third and three in that spot where you're trying to chew clock, I felt like run, RPO, something high percentage, because uh, you really might have two chances to get that. You pick up two yards, we know they're going for it. You pick up a yard and a half, we know they're going for it on fourth down. So I didn't like that call in that spot. W- what did you think uh, about that call in that play on third down? Yeah, on the third down, right? It, the call, it's not like, okay, just AJ Brown is running around. So it's, of course, part of a right, full concept. That's true. So, so you're reading it. I think he's probably yeah, just reading it left to right. He has a press defender. The other safety is kind of to the opposite side. Now, yeah, usually would you object to a one-on-one goal ball with A.J. Brown? I mean, no one, no one is going to. I do think that because of the way the Cowboys pressure was working throughout the game, Hertz had to speed up his processing there, felt comfortable, just let me just take this situation, as opposed to kind of continuing through the progression where you know maybe he had that tight end kind of breaking across the middle of the field. I will say, yeah, when you're third and three, all you need there is a yard and a half because I think that maybe two is the marker where they're probably not as happy to run push sneak that's when they'll get into some of their kind of creative things off of it but a yard and a half I I think you know you could do that so while I don't hate like the specific play call because again it's not like there is a whole concept or part of the concept I think got open I just think in that situation overall yeah I mean I'll I'll just say I would like the let's just hand it off let's get a yard and a half I think we can as much as whatever the problems were on at the right guard spot and we'll talk about scene I think he did fine overall I think you can push for a yard and a half specifically behind the left side of that line when the defense is in that kind of light personnel they're in that like there is a (laughs) wide wide area where obviously Parsons likes to line up I think a little bit wider where even when he was winning in the run game I think you know Swift is a good back and let's go get a yard and a half so that's one where I think if you're frustrated as an Eagles fan you know I am gonna be fine on that one for sure and then the third one, they go uh, three straight runs, and my goodness, disaster on the third one. DeAndre Swift, right? And by watching this on film, Sean, DeAndre Swift like took a hit from AJ Brown. That wasn't just like light collision. Like that was like, oh gosh, that you know that looked like it could be uh, painful. The way they collided there, the ball goes on the ground. Tyler Steen comes through um, with the recovery. Like you, you are like the motion king. I mean, no one has written or analyzed motion more than you. What happens on a play like that where AJ Brown runs into DeAndre Swift and it's nearly what would be a a play that Eagles fans would be talking about uh, for years to come if the Cowboys recover that fumble and win the game? Oh man, I'm sure Cowboys fans would talk about that (laughs) until the end of time too. (laughs) Uh, So, okay. So I think they, I mean, they obviously ran that AJ Brown kind of slide RPO earlier for that two yard touchdown to me. I think AJ Brown like gets off the ball just a touch late. So him being late plus Swift is obviously so anxious to get downhill. It's just like the worst combination where you have, if one guy's slow and one guy's fast, (laughs) they met in the middle and AJ Brown is a little bit, a little bit bigger than Deandre Swift. As you said, like on the, 
on especially live i was just like oh my gosh like swift really really took a big hit and that's like a hit that you're not expecting as a running back too right but whatever we say about tyler steen absolute mvp moment there to to be able to recover that fumble was was just like was just wow but yeah i I watched it so many times and it just felt like okay everyone else is moving just like a hair faster than aj brown is not that brown loafs it because he doesn't like he's not just jogging across but him being slower than he probably would have hoped to swift being faster than probably the last time or maybe in practice like that's that that is such a disaster scenario and yeah i think overall going run 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 there is okay you're burning the timeouts from the other team I'm sure at this point in, I think, Eagles fan history, not pretending like I know all of it, I think that Eagles fans want the offense to be the last like group on the field. We want to we want to win the game where Jalen Hurts is kneeing it out as opposed to let's give the Cowboys a chance, even with, yeah, 50 seconds, no timeouts. That, I think, is a fair situation for most teams. And maybe it's Cowboys pass rushes getting you. You don't have Goddard, Hurts injury. All those things are kind of adding it up. But, man... And on that run, I don't know. I feel like even if if they don't run, I think Swift can get some yards there and then just get to yeah. more push push sneak situations that it just seems like all we're clamoring for is fourth and one. I think we sound kind of boring where we're like, hey, just get nine <laughs> yards in your first three downs as opposed to like, let's keep <laughs> pushing the ball downfield. That's how they play. It's like it, it, maybe not nine, eight and a half. Get to eight and a half yards on your first three downs, and then you pick up another first, especially in that spot where, like you said, you're just trying to uh, chew the clock. So I never really rip a team for being aggressive in that spot. Like if they would have, you know, tried to surprise them uh, with a pass and just say, let's pick up the first down and, um, and and win the game there, I wouldn't have killed them at the same time. Like I, I don't have an issue with it. So based on the three, first three and out, third three and out, I don't have issues really with the play calling uh execution yes you cannot fumble the ball uh in that spot i mean like i said that that could have been near disaster but in terms of the calls i thought they were fine second one I think we both agree. Uh, third and three there, you could have gone with something more higher uh, higher percentage there. So uh, that leads us right in, right into the run game because I think that's a big factor here. You know, I, the, again, historically, they would just like to run the football on at least one of those possessions, get a couple first downs, the game's going to be over. You're chewing clock. They haven't been able to do that in recent weeks. In this game, uh, run game goes 33 for 109. They had one run of more than 10 yards. Their success rate was the third worst of the season. Again, if Jalen Hurts isn't a part of your designed run game, which he has not been in recent weeks because of the knee injury, and even if he comes back healthy, I don't know. Do you want him to be a big part of that? You're eight and one and you want to have a playoff run. So that's definitely a factor here. Sean, I don't know if I wrote this on the one where, yes, I did. I actually, this is the first time in one of these games where the the run numbers were bad, where I came away and I'm like, I kind of thought the film was better than the numbers in the run game. Like there were, there were moments in this game, stretches in this game, in this game where I'm like, they're getting movement up front. Uh, Like you said, they, they are switching things up uh, a little bit in terms of the scheme. They had that jet sweep to DeAndre Swift that like that counts as a pass for Jalen Hurts. Good for him. Uh, I would want that too in my uh, box score if I was a quarterback, but that's like, you know, that's pretty much a, a run that went for 20 yards. So that was nice. They had a lot of runs like inside the five where, again, I'm not making excuses for them, but like there's only so many yards you can get when you're inside the five. Uh, So I actually thought like it was I don't even know if I want to use your word encouraging. I don't know if I want to go that far, uh, Sean, but I thought there were at least some good moments where I thought like, all right, maybe they're figuring some things out uh, with the run game. What, What did you think? 
Yeah, I think you made a good point on that kind of touch pass jet sweep. And then even if you want to consider RPOs as kind of extensions of the run games, then, you know, it does look a little bit better there. And of course, the Eagles have set that run game standard so high. So it's tough to compare to the usual mark. I do think they were a lot more diverse in terms of run concepts against the Cowboys. Counter just overall just didn't look great. They got into some of that pin and pull action. Yeah. They opened that second half getting a little more downhill. I think they're really excited for Cam Jurgens to get back in a lineup where Opeta and Steen, I think, have done admirable jobs. Losing Goddard is really, really big because, you know, you always have something on the dock about Dallas Goddard's run blocking. I just think, I mean, he's like, he's a top five tight end of the league. So that that is a bummer to lose. Yeah. I would agree with you. I think like on the TV copy, I always feel like awful about it because all you see is the running back get tackled for two yards. And then like now this year on the film, right, you get both sides of the view. So if you go lineman by lineman, it's like win, 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 loss. And if you get one loss, like that's kind of all it is. So I, I mean, yeah. a lot of run games around the league have, I think, like systematic problems where they're either too vanilla and they don't have the talent up front to be able to do it or like they're doing too much in a certain way on film t- to me my perspective i don't think that there is like a systematic problem because when i know like this was what was wrong on this play this is what was wrong on this play it's a lot of times just well like the angle of the double team was probably not ideal or how the lineman specifically like got to the second level unfortunately allowed the initial defender to cause a problem for the run i think that it's something that when jurgens is back they'll get more time together i expect the like by week 16 that this offensive line actually looks a lot better than they even are which is hard for an offensive line that is really really good so and part of it is me kind of like pull my own hair out a little bit just because they're so so good at those individual positions and when it doesn't mesh together it can be really frustrating but i do think there's so much good on an individual play that could be focused on but unfortunately right at the point of attack if that's not happening, then I don't think anyone cares what's happening kind of away from the play. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, because without Goddard, that's like a huge, I mean, Goddard hasn't been in there. I think we talked about this on a previous episode. Like they've kind of been using him differently this year where they've had a lot of run reps without him on the field. Every time that happens, I feel like it shows like there's a massive drop off to me between Dallas Goddard uh, and Jack Stoll or whoever else is going to be playing tight end. So that's going to be a factor in the run game. Again, Jalen Hurts' legs are going to be a factor in the run game. On the other hand, Jurgens. Even just if he plays at the exact level he played at earlier this season and doesn't improve at all, that's going to be a pretty nice upgrade uh, over the other right guard. So we'll see how you, you add all that up. I don't know where you know where the math leads you, but your point about comparing it league-wide is a good one because their success rate in this game rushing the football was a league average game in the NFL this year. So it feels like, oh my gosh, they stunk and they couldn't do anything. That's a league average rushing game uh, if you look at all 32 teams. So maybe it's not, you know, quite as bad. And again, I thought like we could pick, we could have picked out, you know, like six to eight runs, I think, in this game where we go, that was pretty nice. You know, like, wow, they blocked it up well. Uh, the back hit it and they gained like six yards. Now, they ran the ball 33 times. So, uh, you know, you, you want a higher percentage than that, but at least there were some of those reps on film here. All right, let's uh, finish up with some of the stuff on the offense here, Sean. Uh, Tyler Steen, we, we got some questions, I think, during the game, which was cool there. You know, we want to know what you guys thought of Tyler Steen. I am not an offensive line expert. I will give my, um, you know, I, I basically, I feel like I can tell if a guy played well or not. I cannot tell you about hand placement or fee- any anything like that. So my 
take on Tyler Steen, Sean, was it depends how we're grading. If we're doing that nice grading curve of this guy is a rookie making his first start against a very good defense, did he hang in there and not kill you and not kill the game? Yes. And like that sounds like a a weird curve to grade on. And like I'm being, I'm not actually trying to be mean. Like I do think you have to take that into account. It's really hard. You have to take into account how, how hard it was. So like, um, you know, he got through the game, he survived, you scored four touchdowns. It wasn't like he wasn't getting circled every time by Greg Olson, every possession, like, oh my gosh, he's killing them on film. Was he their worst offensive lineman? Yes. I mean, it probably wasn't even, uh, I, I don't think Jordan Mailata had a good game, but, uh, I don't think it was particularly close. I mean, we could do a reel of six to eight Tyler Steen reps where you would be like, all right, he doesn't belong on the field. That's unfair. Again, some of them he's lined up against Michael Parsons. Some of them he's clearly lost and you're like, all right, either he doesn't know what he's supposed to do here or it's a missed assignment. There's a lot to take in in that spot. So that's kind of how I grade him. I mean, I don't know like where that leaves me. I'm not like he's going to be, you know, an all pro and I'm not like get him off the team. I'm like, it's kind of what you expect for a rookie making his first start against a really good defense. All right. Agree or, or disagree with that assessment. Yeah, I think overall, I would I would lean agree. I'm also just a believer in grading on curves because obviously, you know, success is a product of realistic expectations. And I'm not going to pretend to be an mm, offensive line expert line. there. Okay. But yeah, there were snaps <laughs> where he missed his run block or didn't take the best angle. There were snaps, as we talked about, where Michael Parsons looks like Michael Parsons. But then when you watch Michael Parsons in every other game of the year, he does that to every single player. So it's hard to... Yeah, he was I mean, doing that to Mylotta in this game, to be fair. Yeah, of course. Yeah. you. So you do ding Steen yeah. on that. But I think, yeah, overall, like, I think you make a good point that he wasn't like constantly circled on the broadcast. And yeah, I just don't think it's embarrassing to have Micah Parsons beat you on a pass rush move. I just I just don't think I don't think it is. I don't think anyone really thinks it is. I think he looked he looked better at times when he was like a little bit more attacking. So certain pass rushes, whether like they you, you have your guard kind of like jump on the d- defensive tackle a little bit. You can't always do that because defensive tackles are really good at at getting off of that and you know you can practice stunts all you want and kind of sifting through them it looks different in a game so i agree you know rookie getting their first game action against dan quinn in dallas i think that'll be good for him in the long run that's like an awesome one to have banked in your memory of like okay this is the speed of michael parsons hopefully i mean the next stretch of pat like Chris Jones coming up, and then obviously all the guys in San Francisco. We get a third chase young game, like like lucky, lucky us uh, to, to be able to watch him again. But I think the Eagles are happy to get Cam Jurgens back. I will I will say that. So let's just be happy that, that it ended up in a win. And as you said, even the losses, they were Hertz was able to get the ball away here and there in ways that were able to mitigate it, make the life a little bit easier for the offensive line. It's like when you're on the on deck circle and you put the donuts on your bat to make it, you know, feel heavier so that when you go up, it's lighter. Like that's like you go against Micah Parsons, your first game. Now you go up against just like a solid defensive tackle. You're going to be killing that guy. They're not going to be moving like Micah Parsons. So uh, maybe you're right there. All right, let's finish uh, with this, with the offense, Sean. And then if there's anything else you wanted to add, uh, let me know before we move on to the defense. Through nine weeks, Eagles offense, fourth in EPA per drive, fourth in success rate, Seventh in DVOA, the offense is averaging 27 points per game. They were averaging 28.4 in Hertz starts last year. Their EPA per drive this year with Hertz is actually better than it was last year with Hertz. Their success rate 
is down. And the same thing is true for Hertz's individual numbers. And like that all made sense to me in my head. I was like, you know, on a down to down basis, does it feel as consistent as it did last year? The answer is no. But man, you zoom out and it's pretty close to what we saw last year when you just look at what's happening on every drive, how many points are they scoring uh, per game. So that's kind of where uh, where the offense is here. I thought you made a good point uh, in the doc. They recovered three of their own fumbles in this game. One was in the red zone, uh, DeAndre Swift. Uh, the other was uh, Mylotta gets beat by, I think it was Sam Williams on a sack fumble. And the third was the play we just described with Brown and DeAndre Swift. So if you're a fan saying you guys are being too rosy, they got lucky. Like there's absolutely validity to that argument. I mean, you lose one of those, you lose two of those. You're definitely losing the game. I think you lose one of those you're, you know, you might lose the game also. So sometimes it's just a little luck uh, here and there. And, and as we know, fumble recoveries, there, uh, there is luck there. So there's definitely uh, plenty to to work on. And as we said in the post game pod, it feels like luck has kind of gone their way more often than not uh, in the last two years. So who knows? Maybe that, maybe that'll just uh, continue to happen. I mean, you can't object to luck, right? Like that, that that's if it's on your side, it's on your side. Who, who are you to argue with that? Yeah, I, I think early in the season, we saw Hertz was kind of getting his footing more and the run game was really carrying a lot of those victories. And then now Hertz is just dealing and the run game is sort of adjusting. So I absolutely understand if if anyone is frustrated, because I get frustrated watching it sometimes, too. But the flexibility to respond to game situations, the ability to be an offense that can just throw on anyone is really, really sweet. I will say, I mean, I don't have the years of like scars as, as an Eagles watcher that have like accrued over time, but I think that it's much more fun to watch their offense in these last few games as opposed to sometimes in the the first bit of the season. So it's obviously important to remember like the offense now is totally different than week one and week two and week three, where AJ Brown is now getting moved around a lot. Hertz is playing so confident and he's hitting everyone on those deep routes. Obviously, we have the injury to Goddard, but. Yeah, and I think it's important. I do speak quite rosy because I think that there's so much to love about this this team as a whole. But not only do you recover your three fumbles, like two little, like two inches of the game. Like if the field is a quarter of an inch wider and like the white line is a little bit yeah. longer on the front end, you recover those three fumbles and you lose at home to the Cowboys. So it's it's a game where maybe you don't feel leaving like, oh, we are like so much better than than Dallas, but obviously more more chances to be able to prove that. And gosh, I really hope in the come playoff time, it's uh, it's Eagles home game, Eagles home game, Eagles home game above everything else. Yeah, like you, you don't. I guess you don't have to apologize for luck in the regular season because it can lead to a spot where you have a huge advantage uh, over the over the competition. I would agree with you. Watching this game, it was like these are you know I don't I don't know how anyone could watch this game and not be like these two teams are pretty evenly matched and this was like a coin flip uh, type of game here. Which brings us to Sean. The Eagles defense, not their best performance. Nine possessions, uh, three touchdowns, a field goal, two punts, two turnovers on downs, one fumble. Uh, based on defensive success rate, it was an average game for the Eagles defense. Based on EPA per drive, their second worst game of the season behind the week four game against the Commanders. And if you want to kind of flip that, it was the Cowboys' second best offensive performance in terms of EPA per drive. So you give up 406 yards. You give up 27 first downs. Dak Prescott carved you up for most of this game. 29 for 44, 374. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. uh, And he was sacked five times. So uh, I want to get your big picture thoughts. I feel like my big picture thought, I haven't read every piece of analysis or listened to every piece of analysis on this game. 
But Sean, I felt like for 57 minutes of this game, this was as good as an offensive line had neutralized the Eagles pass rush in probably the last two years. I mean, the amount of times Josh Sweat, who is a great edge, edge defender, was on the ground against Tyron Smith. Jalen Carter was on the ground against Tyler Smith. Like, I don't know if anyone charts that. I swear it had to be more in this game than I've seen either of those guys on the ground the entire season. And that's not to pick on those two guys. Like, it was across the board. Hassan Reddick had some really tough reps uh, against their offensive tackles. I mean, uh, I looked this up, Sean. Dak Prescott, when when he held the ball for four seconds or more, this is from True Media, five for five for 119 yards in this game. That's that's the second most yards by a QB on those throws, four seconds or more, the entire season. Only Patrick Mahomes week seven against the Chargers was higher. So like, and some of it, let's give Prescott credit. I mean, he was buying time. He was creating. He did a good job of that. There were like reps in this game where it's usually flipped. I think I've joked with you before that like other quarterbacks probably watch the Eagles film and see Jalen Hurts back there and are like, that's not fair. Like, look at that. It's just a pristine pocket. No one's around him. It was flipped in this game. That was Dak Prescott. Some of these throws, he's standing back there and there's a no pass rusher even close to him. So we'll get to the struggles on the back end. And I'm not saying you the, telling you the coverage was perfect. My number one takeaway was that I didn't think the the Eagles pass rush was capable of being like held down and neutralized in the manner that they were slowed down in this game. Now, I said 57 minutes for a reason because some of you are listening and going, what are you talking, you moron? What are you talking about? They ended the game, Graham sack, Graham Carter sack. So it's like, I agree. It came to life the last two possessions. That's why they won the game. Before that, uh, I felt like their defensive line was getting manhandled. Uh, agree, disagree, nuance it up a little bit. Uh, ha- how do you feel about what I just said? Yeah, I think that a lot of those plays are going on Cowboy offensive linemen highlight reels uh, as they get towards the kind of twilight of their career. And good on them. I mean, they are they do an incredible job. And you know, like r- the pass rush and the pass coverage, it's such an important but kind of fragile pairing because – they help each other so much, but then they can also hurt each other in the opposite direction when your coverage is really good. The quarterback is probably holding on to the ball longer, and it should lead to more sacks usually because it's harder to pass protect for longer periods of time. Or when your rush is really good, your secondary doesn't have to cover for as long. And in the Eagles case, I think they know on the back end that their pass rush is so good that their cornerbacks do play more aggressive at times particularly on that first break of some routes, knowing that, you know, more often than not, a rusher is bearing down. So in this game, the rush was, yeah, as you said, neutralized for most of it. And the Cowboys will give their offensive line credit. It wasn't a case like against the commanders where for the commanders, the ball was coming out so quick that the rush couldn't kind of do anything. So that is interesting, right? You see it happen in a different way. I do think Dak played awesome. He was extending plays. When there was pressure, he was happy to feed Lamb in tight windows. But just like at this point in time for the defense, it's hard to expect this secondary to cover on second and third breaks kind of deep into the down. And there aren't a lot of secondaries that you would rely on, but this back seven particularly really, really benefits and plays to having that dominant pass rush. And hey, obviously happy that it worked out in the end. I do think, you know, if you're in offense and you feel like, hey, we can stop this defensive line, like you feel comfortable going in. Uh, we'll talk about, I think, more of 
why I think Sean Desai wasn't particularly to blame. I think he did a fine job. And even like, okay, well, who do you blame? The rushers or the coverage? I don't think it, it's like anyone's, quote, fault. But if the front isn't causing pressure, the back end is like on their fifth player in the slot, their fourth player at safety or however many. And as I said, I just don't think at this point in time, this is a secondary that you feel comfortable kind of hanging on to second, two and a half, three, four on the second and third break of some of those routes. Yeah, it, it's a great point how it's tied together and all the reps they've had this season, like they, they're able to play that way for good reason. Because for the first eight games, if they were tight in coverage in, for the first two and a half seconds, chances are the play was going to be over. Either the ball's going to be out or they're hitting the quarterback or the quarterback's uh, scrambling, uh, throwing the ball away and running. That wasn't the case, uh, you know, certainly um in this game. So yeah, you're right. I mean, like, I don't know that it tells us anything much about the, it tells us something when they play the Cowboys the next time. Like, I think that's fair. It's like, Ooh, how are they, you know, how are they going to generate pressure against Dak Prescott? I don't know. Like it was an eye opener, honestly, this Cowboys offensive line and Tyron Smith had been injured and like they had it. I don't, they'd been good. I don't think they'd been dominant. So, uh, it's a good job by them. Like they were ready and, and, uh, they were winning those battles more often than not. I don't know how many teams we're going to see this year that. Their, like you said, their offense is going to feel the same way. But your point is a good one because anytime in my years uh, of covering teams, anytime the pass rush didn't get home and you asked a defensive lineman about it uh, before they looked at you like they were about to, you know, uh, throw you into the wall, uh, generally, you know, they would say, well, the ball was coming out quick or, you know, they were ready, they were moving the pocket. That was not this game. The, the, the Cowboys did not come into this game thinking we need to help Dak, uh, you know, to neutralize this pass rush. They came into this game like, We'll block them up and we'll call our stuff. And like they did do that. Um, so credit to them, credit to Dak Prescott. Uh, some of the examples I had on here, Sean, um, you know, there was a 29 yard completion to CD Lamb versus Eli Ricks on fourth and one early on. Uh, it's a double move. That one, you, you mentioned, like, do you blame pass rusher coverage? You can blame both on that one. I mean, Rick's got, it's a tough spot for Rick's. It's not dissimilar to Tyler Steen against Michael Parsons. Rick's gets cooked there at the same time. You know, look at that pocket. It, it no pass rush at all. Pristine pocket uh, on that one. Uh, a forty-yard completion to Jake Ferguson, where Kevin Byard gets called for holding. Again, no pass rush on that one. Prescott had the ball forever there. Uh, a twenty-yard completion to C.D. Lamb versus Eli Ricks on that one. Hassan Reddick actually has a nice initial pass rush, and you're thinking, okay. But he doesn't finish and nobody else wins. Prescott escapes and he makes a play. And so on that one, like Eli Ricks is not going to cover CeeDee Lamb for as long as that play took. It's just not uh, realistic. Uh, I had a 14-yard comeback to CeeDee Lamb versus Darius Slay. No pass rush again. They try a stunt with Jalen Carter. He trips. Dak Prescott's just sitting back there uh, like seven on seven. Uh, So those were some of the ones. Uh, that stood out to me. One last one, 32-yard completion uh, uh, to uh, Jalen Tolbert versus James Bradbury. Again, Prescott had all day. Like Those are a lot of big plays I just described where every single one, the pass rush was not helping you uh, at all. I don't know if any of those specifically stood out to you or if there was another play or two you wanted to bring up. I think in a lot of those plays, like the coverage is, it's different. It's not that they just ran one coverage over and over and it's really hard for me to sit and say okay we saw cd lamb have 191 yards everything is fine i I understand being not okay with that kind of statement i will say i think like overall the way that the coverage was changed like from a structural standpoint to me just like on x's on a chalkboard was really good they clouded cd lamb when he was outside 
They doubled him when he was inside. They changed leverage. And I was surprised how much cover three that they used. A lot of, or I think some of those earlier examples that you mentioned were different variations of cover one. Uh, and last week they had a lot of issues against the commanders because in cover one, your nickel usually has outside leverage. You're like, okay, so every single coverage has a weakness in, and you're usually playing leverage as a defensive back. So in cover one, a lot of times your nickel, we'll talk about the nickel specifically, is playing with outside leverage because their help is going to be inside. They have the deep middle of the field defender. Sometimes the safety is rolling down. Sometimes it's a linebacker. And I wasn't sure how much cover three they would play because they don't use it a ton. But the one good thing about cover three, especially from the nickel spot, is now you're still playing outside leverage and funneling things. But if you get an in-breaking route where we saw the commanders succeed on that over and over, you can funnel that right to a linebacker that's right there. So from like a, how do we answer the test? I really like that. That was a good thing that I wasn't really expecting because again, they didn't use it a ton. And then Desai wasn't too proud to later on get into two man. And then obviously they move Slayer around and get into more aggressive brackets. So yeah, you you listed a lot of examples, and ever there is more examples in the the doc that we went through and kind of talked back and forth. Like, oh man, this is a a loss in coverage here with really good pocket. That was definitely the theme. But from a like a standpoint of just say we had like we could create a team on Madden and have all the best players, which obviously you can't do. I love that we saw different kinds of coverages over and over. But you don't love that. Then you see like a CD Lamb contested catch against uh, Darius Slay. But I, I did like seeing Slay move around a little bit more. I think that, yeah, Byard obviously didn't have the best day in man coverage. Some of those examples that you mentioned also showed that, you know, you hope that you get the bye week, you get time for everyone to mesh together a little bit more. Hopefully you get that slot figured out. And I mean, like there was concerns in the, in the past uh, defense for sure. Yeah, it's tough because I don't like... Like, I don't want to be like, you know, oh, you know, defensive game plan was great. I mean, they, they, their defense got cooked for most of this game. I mean, there's a scenario where they're giving up in the thirties at the same time, watching the film, I don't have a solution of they should have done this or they didn't try enough of this. Like, like you said, I mean, they're switching up their coverages quite a bit uh, Two man, which, which Sean mentioned is just man coverage across the board with, you know, two high safety so that the corners can kind of play in that trail technique. Cause they have help over the, co- uh, over the top, they can undercut stuff and man, they were just like, <laughs> regardless of coverage that there were L's across the board. And again, I think a lot of that was because the pass rush didn't get home. I mean, there were definitely reps where like they had it covered up nicely on the first, you know, two to two and a half seconds uh, of the play and then the play gets extended and then they lose in that scenario so um it it certainly wasn't just one thing i do have can you know the cowboys did take some w's by getting you know scheming up some matchups that they like sean i thought you know when when like um you know like that one i mentioned when they have they had cd lamb on reed blanket chip even on the first third down like they're probably like okay this is exactly what we want they got cd lamb on uh on rick's one-on-one on that fourth and one. They're probably licking their chops. Like we're going to win that nine out of 10 times. Uh, Kevin Byard, the one, you know, there was a fourth and one and they just have Jake Ferguson versus Kevin Byard one-on-one. And I think, you know, that that ended up being a pretty good completion. So it definitely felt like whenever Byard was kind of man-to-man, they're like, okay, let's make him prove it. Kevin Byard, I don't think has gotten his hand on a football yet. This year, I'll I'll look this. I'll I'll find the exact numbers uh, when you uh, you know make your next point here. But yeah, Bayard was certainly being targeted. The slot position is going to be an issue. I mean, 
Like, think about what Eagles are counting on Bradley Roby, who was signed off the street and is in his 30s, to come off of injured reserve and fix their problems. Like, maybe, you know, Bradley Roby's had a great, a very good career, but like that is um, asking a lot. So they, they definitely need to sit down at the bye week and be like, all these teams, I think, are just going to be like, we will put our best receiver in the slot and let's see what their answers are and what they're going to do there um, and figure it out. But I did think, they, I didn't you think like even the Cowboys, they put CeeDee Lamb in the backfield the one time. I know you love that kind of thing. Come on, you love when a wide, and then he gets like matched up on Zach Cunningham there. Uh, and it, so, so the Cowboys did kind of win in those some specific instances getting the matchups they wanted with Lamb, right? Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Just understanding as an offense, we have one really, really good receiver where I don't think the other receivers, even they probably don't think that they're as good as CD Lamb. So how do we move that piece of the offense around in the slot where you can get matched up on linebackers when you know if a cornerback is following him, then you can get into your man beating kind of specific concepts. Because if you just have a cornerback following him everywhere, that really tells you a lot about the defense i love that snap of having uh, loved it from a cowboys perspective having him in the backfield because so many times you're going to end up getting matched up with a linebacker where the eagles ran it against the jets where they had Devonte smith in the backfield doing something similar and you know usually your receiver is going to win in that situation i just think like from a defensive perspective overall like you're making some person's life hard on your defense like no matter what you're doing just based on what you're kind of deciding from a coverage structure so if you're saying, okay, well, why don't we just play a cover for the entire game? Then you have a really, really hard job from your slot defender and your two linebackers where they need to cover up so much of that ground. So I definitely prefer to see a defense that is changing things up fairly constantly. And I probably would have been much more frustrated if we just saw, hey, we're going to sit and cover through the entire game and just get kind of carved up. But like they really, really threw every single different coverage. And I do think something that is really tough is if you're not getting home with four, Dak is obviously not the quarterback that you want to blitz or he's showed that kind of year after year. Then when you send five, that's when Bayard ends up getting matched up one-on-one on CD on that juke route, which yeah. yeah, you don't want that matchup as a defense. So when the offense can say, well, you're not getting there with four. If you're going to bring five, now you're in a real, real <laughs> kind of tough man coverage situation where we're going to take the offensive guys over and over. I do think it's funny that you mentioned, you know, in my head, I'm like, yeah, like Bradley Roby is coming back. Like things are saved, but it, that's just like indicative of like they're down the depth chart at that position. So you're hoping yeah. that that pass rush is able to just, you know, make up for some of the deficiencies at different spots on the back end. Yeah, it's, uh, I was, I was just, you know, you, that, I'm glad you brought up the blitz thing. Cause I know like people will be like, well, they didn't try everything. They didn't blitz. And that's true. I think they blitzed six times. It's a tough, it's a tough quarterback to blitz. I gave the numbers last week. He's been first in, you know, in every statistical metric against the blitz for two years. Now you might get to a point in the game where you say the other stuff's not working. Like how much worse could it be? I get that. Like that, 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 that's a reasonable, um, viewpoint to have. Uh, like you mentioned on the rare occasions where they tried, it wasn't like that. And that was actually the answer because you're putting people, the, the coverage players in e- even tougher uh, situations. So yeah, Kevin Byard this year has had 326 snaps in coverage and he hasn't got his hand on the football once. Like no pass breakups, no pa- passes defended, no interceptions, no forced fumbles. He has one fumble recovery. So I, I don't know if that was uh, I don't know if that was a run play or a pass play. I'm not killing Kevin Byard just like 
something to monitor going forward. You know, as I always remind people with every trade, the trading team has more information on the player than the acquiring team has. Now, this was a low risk move by the Eagles. I am not killing the Eagles for making this move. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't really matter. It was a fine risk to take. I would have made the move. Um, but when we're looking at, you know, what kind of players Kevin Byard going to be for them, it is hard to join it defense in the middle of the season and pick it up so i think you're right he could be a player that after the buy take some time learn the defense hang out with sean desai uh maybe he comes back and looks a lot different um after the buy i think if you're an eagles fan uh that's something you should be hopeful about all right did we miss anything else with the defense no, I feel like I, I put, that, you know, yeah, well, on our <laughs> spreadsheet, I had like 35 plays on them. Like, wow, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening with the, I went in there and you had already charted every single, uh, CD lamb catch that he had there. And it, it was like, so tell it wasn't against one guy. I mean, Slay traveled with him to the right side, but they got him mashed up versus uh, Bayard. There was a coverage bust by Ricks. He had a comeback versus Slay. It was just like, oh my, yeah, they do have, you know, they're, they're trying different things on him and nothing's really working. Yeah, the CD one, or that's just so interesting. I think he had like 11 catches and of those, it's like four where he just like flat wins the route. Like that is a hundred percent like to his credit. Two of them, I think were clear coverage busts. One you have in scramble, scramble drill. Two are contested catches. One was a really well schemed up crosser against cover three and then the game ender. So like when you, I think again, I, it's hard for me. I can't even say with a straight face, like 191 yards was not as bad as, as like you thought, because for me, it wasn't just like, okay, like the whole entire structure of the defense is falling apart. I think that hopefully going forward, you don't have those coverage busts in the same way. CD is going to win on routes against you. Like, I think that that is something that's going to happen. You want to maybe those two contested catches just become one. That game ender, even if we just remove it, which by the way, that game ending play was like, was super, super well designed in my mind where I kind of like, instead of just throwing it up in the end zone, you're like, they send kind of crossers to just pull people away and then say, all right, we're going to catch the ball at the five yard line. And hopefully run in. I don't know how much you were sweating. At that point, I was I was fully convinced that the Eagles were gonna lose. And then like my positivity was just gonna get drained for me. I don't know. Were you were you feeling pretty tight on the end there? I thought when did I think they were gonna lose? I feel like when they had the uh it felt like on that last possession, they were gonna when you get penalties on like back-to-back plays and both cornerbacks leave the game with injury. I mean, they were what inside the 10-yard line with 27 seconds or whatever it was. Yeah, I thought, oh my, this is gonna go down as an all-time loss here. You're right. That that was uh that was a nice way um that they did that. Yeah, there were some close moments. I mean, we talked about um a couple other ones where they had the, you know, the goal line stand on the left side with the tight ends where they run the pick play. Um, and that's where that goes with the ball. If you look on the right side, the, the, and you had a great explanation for this. So I want you uh, to explain it to the listeners. Cause I was wondering why Dak didn't get to the right side where the wide receivers are running a pick play with an in-breaking route and the Eagles just botch it the guy's wide open i can't remember what receiver it was but it like couldn't have been an easier touchdown but dak kind of thought he had what he wanted uh on the left side so what did you see there where it was a pick play with an outbreaking route on the left side with the tight ends and then it was a pick play with an in-breaking route with the wide receivers on the right side dak prescott picks the left side they get stopped right at the goal line the right side uh, is wide open on phil yeah, if it was a pick aside read, like picks had been working kind of the whole entire game. So I was definitely fine going left to right there. If it's red left to right there, to me, it makes sense to go outbreaker first because it's like 
You do not want to be late on that throw. That's kind of a pick six going the other way if you're late on that throw. And as you're moving from as a quarterback left to right, that slant is getting back into your vision. So I think it from a conceptual standpoint, it makes sense. Hey, let's go left to right on this where, I mean, it did work. Like it, it worked. He just, he got stopped like yeah. an inch, in, in, like a literal inch short of the kind of, of the end zone there. But I, I love that concept on the offensive end. I thought that they did a good job with picks kind of throughout the game. And yeah, it stinks when you watch it from the all 22 and are like, well, that receiver is wide open. And there are times even in this game. And I think, from a game to game basis that more often than I than I would think there are receivers wide open but <laughs> a quarterback like is looking in a different spot for a good reason because of how the structure of the play is we've seen it on the back end with where we have commanders receivers just running wide open against the Eagles defense but hey you know if the read is the read and I'm not sure how much you can kind of take that structure out of the play because if you just tell a quarterback well just go look at who is open it's kind of amorphous they're looking in all different directions and then by that point you got a pass right. rusher in your face right away yeah that that's not uh exactly how it works so that was a big near miss if that goes the other way maybe the Dak Prescott two-point conversion Sean I mean on that I don't know how Brandon Graham can I mean if Brandon Graham doesn't run as hard as he can at Dak Prescott and honestly even then like I, I Dak Prescott played a great game I think that's when he's probably like how did I not like I could have stayed in bounds there uh and scored that's that changes the game because then they're in field goal range on that final possession uh there was the fourth down where they attacked Bradbury on the right side against Tolbert that's a good example actually of what you're talking about they doubled CD Lamb on that play so they took like they actually effectively took CD Lamb away in a high leverage situation they go to Bradbury Jake for Zach Cunningham tries to jam Jake Ferguson at the line of scrimmage I feel like I'm being mean to all of them. I'm not being mean you're eight and one I'm trying not to be mean but uh completely whiffs as much as you'll see a guy whiff at the line of scrimmage with his jam Ferguson's over the middle wide open but to your point like that that might not be how Prescott is you know reading that play out like I think on that one Again, that might be one he wants back a little bit more so than the goal line one where maybe he watches the film and goes, oh my God, I should have scanned there real quick uh, and I would have had an easy first down. Instead, he goes to Tolbert and it ends up being a PBO. Yeah, that one was interesting because I think Cunningham had a kind of jam situation who, you know, I, I, feel, I feel like overall, I feel like I've bought out more positivity in you. I think it's okay. I think Cunningham would be okay with us <laughs> saying that he missed the jam. I think like if you're on the offensive side, like that, same exact jam situation happened earlier in the game and Cunningham also with there. So it's not like this was the first situation where you saw this. I don't object to the Cowboys saying, okay, well, CD is obviously going to be the first read here. I think Dak's processing there was like, let's look left. CD is double. I need to get back to my ISO one-on-one on the right side, which that is like, to me, it's like more like that's like the textbook processing there. And I think unfortunately, like it's I don't know, like I wouldn't, I'm not going to pretend like I'd be able to read it out like that, but you do want that situation where you can kind of feel that in your vision going left to right. But I think by that point, maybe the Eagles defensive line, they were speeding it up a little bit. And I mean, a lot of the game, you're fine taking that one-on-one against some of the Eagles cornerbacks. It's just so, so rough. I really wonder what's going on in that meeting room where they say, you know, this guy just beats him clean off the line. He's not first in the progression. He shouldn't be because CeeDee Lamb should be. Once the defense doubles it, I think that, I mean, Ferguson was like, now the the Eagles have to deal with like another <laughs> Cowboys tight end for years and years and Jake Ferguson. Yeah. So I guess I'm glad I got to watch some, <laughs> some Ferguson film, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Cunningham, uh, not, maybe not the best, the best, uh, 
press pass coverage for Cunningham. He's, he's had a great season. I think um, I wasn't expecting as much as what he's put out as an Eagle so far, for sure. He, he, you know what he had a, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I wrote this down somewhere in my notes. He, he kind of saved the game on one possession. Sorry. I know I keep going on here. I was like about to wrap up 10 minutes. Ago. I said there was a lot of stuff in this game. Uh, and like, I forgot, um, a lot about it here, but he had a stretch there. Uh, yes, that red zone sequence where, uh, they get the stop. Uh, if you, in the fourth quarter on first down, he had great coverage on, Jake Ferguson, uh, incompletion. On second down, he had a run tackle. On third down, if you remember, Prescott scrambled and Slay upended him, but Cunningham's right there. Three straight plays Cunningham's in on, and then that sets up fourth down. So it's like the old, you know, defensive player, defend every blade of grass and, you know, uh, every down, we're not giving up anything. That was like a good uh, good example um, of that there. All right. You know what, Sean? I initially, I thought we'll do a little what should they self-scout during the bye week. I've kept you for like three hours. Let's just do that next week. We've got our notes in there. Um, if you're a listener and you're like, hey, we're curious about X, hit us up. I mean, Sean is a much friendlier guy. He's more likely to listen to you and actually, you know, uh, do the work and then come back with an answer next week. But, you know, maybe uh, maybe I'll do that. So if you are like, hey, what, what's something they should look at during the bye week or what do you think about this aspect of the Eagles? Um, we'll take a look at that for sure. Uh, and then the leftovers, just the last things here real quick. Eagles are 22 and 2 in the regular season, the last two seasons with Jalen Hurts as their starter. That's never going to happen during your lifetime. Again, if you're listening to this, that's like, uh, that's just incredible. So um, the guy just sort of seems to find a way every game. Uh, N'Kobe Dean injury. Uh, Mike Garofolo, I think of NFL Network, reported it's a Liz Frank. So you're going, you're a good thing. You know, we said nice things about Zach Cunningham because it's going to be Cunningham and Morrow here uh, for a while for the Eagles. And then the last thing, um, Sean, you had a nice, you know, let's give Sumer Sports a little shout out. I saw this nice graphic on Sumer Sports um, that had Jalen Hurts in expected passing situations, I think as the best quarterback. Was it the best or was he second? I don't even have it up uh, in front of me. It was first or second. Explain. <laughs> Explain what that graphic means. Give your, you know, your company uh, and your people a little bit of love because I thought that was a pretty interesting and telling graphic. So this is great because like the one person at Sumer Sports that you do not want to ask this question to is probably me. But yes, yeah, so Jalen Hurts number one in production. So we use production EPA per dropback in expected pass situations. And my buddy Tej Seth, who's a great fo- uh, follow on Twitter, he's. He is the stats guy. So his kind of like what is an expected pass situation? It's based on what the win probability is, what the down is, what the distance is to the sticks and what the yard line is. So all game situations are kind of taken from the team. And it's like we don't want to base it just on like, okay, Patrick Mahomes is expected to pass more. So every graph with Jalen Hurts, number one, uh, is a great graph. And I, so I texted Tej immediately and I was like, hey, like she'll put this in the doc. Do you feel comfortable about <laughs> what like what you put here? Because I wasn't about to come here for something that, that my guys didn't believe in. And so his response was, well, what do you think about on film? And I'm glad he asked that. Tej is a very smart guy. Uh, because I think it's true. Like he has absolutely put so many good clips on film where we have every week. This is a throw that has like such a low completion percentage ex- expectation and it's a banger and it's just throw after throw. So 
I was happy that that graph took off. I feel like Eagles Twitter, shout out to all of you people. Uh, all of you are lovely. Hopefully you guys uh, and girls get a nice rest week this week. Go watch some other team that you'll probably be more grateful about your offensive line. But that was a good one. And I think just from a metrics perspective, of course, you know, I'm a film guy. But like Jalen Hurts continues to pop out and is showing like, okay, well, these are the makings at this point of the year of someone who ends up winning MVP. So that's like, that's, I don't, maybe that's like a bad three letter word to be saying on the podcast, but that's in his <laughs> range of outcomes. And going into the year, I think all of us were, well, what is Hurts going to do? Was it a one year kind of flash in a pan? I mean, he's just putting the fundamentals on film of a quarterback that, I mean, I, I hope that he has just like the longest successful career. Obviously, so many things can happen, blah, blah, blah. We all know. I don't want to talk about Carson Wentz, but I've just loved what I've seen on film. And he is matching, yeah, I think that graph where he's number one in so many different metrics, it's showing on film too, which I'm I'm always happy to see. I love that I put you in like scramble panic mode because I did I did add that very late in the day. I mean, we're talking about a half an hour before recording. I saw this graphic and I'm like, oh, this is Sean's company. It's be a nice little synergy. You know, they've been nice. They've been retweeting the pods. Let's give this is a nice uh, little graphic here. And then you're like, oh my God, he's giving me more work to do 30 minutes before the pod. Now I got to email Tej and be like, all right, what does this actually mean? Uh, so yeah, sorry to put next time. I'm going to give you advanced warning, but I do like that because like, uh, you know, that is like, for all the talk about the the team putting Hertz in position to succeed, these are position these are times where it's like the defense knows that you are going to have to pass the football. What's the quarterback doing? And I think that's like a very good way to look at quarterback play when we try to, you know, assess all the variables and scheme and support all that. Like when the defense knows you have to pass it, can the guy come through on a third and long? We just gave some examples earlier uh, in the show that yes, Jalen Hurts absolutely did that, by the way, against the top five defense um, in the NFL. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll retweet that uh, after the show and people can check that out. All right, Sean. Thank you very much. Uh, this went uh, longer than expected, which you're used to me saying pretty much every week here. Um, get, let the people know now they can check out some of your other work during the, we're going to be back next week. But in the meantime, as they take in the league in week 10 and view other teams, what can they look for from you? Yeah, I got uh, everyone just, you know, enjoy that eight and one feeling. Next month is going to be pretty crazy. Would love, you know, follow along on Twitter at Syed Schemes. Give Sumer Sports a follow too. They're a great job on Twitter, I think, with a lot of data that's coming out and just a lot of different ways to view the game. My weekly column, uh, you know, a little inside secret. I actually, I posted on Wednesday night, even though it's called the Thursday three. You'll, you'll get it. You'll get to see it Thursday morning too. So two really well-designed plays that we see across the league that are often big gains. I'm going to write about those. And then just a simple pass rush stunt that teams love, used really, really well in week nine. And then, you know, teams like running it against the Chiefs. So might be a good one. I'll obviously miss having the Eagles on this week. I might still wear my Eagles dry fit just to to keep that routine. But, you know, nothing like some nice relaxation mentally for everyone this week. There you go. Check out all of Sean's work. Uh, We'll be back next week to talk Eagles Chiefs. And again, we'll get into some of the stuff. Hey, what might the Eagles be looking at in this bye week uh, as they prepare for the second half of the season? All right. Thank you to Sean. Thank you to Cliff Augustine producing his 19th uh, podcast uh, of the day. Appreciate him. As always, thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back. Talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly Special.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 